Oh, Father, we, we taste your grace and mercy this morning, and all we can do is bow before you and say thank you. Undeserved. But you, Father, in your love, you send your son Christ for us that we may experience this love, that we may run to you and experience forgiveness and mercy. And then you do this crazy thing, Father, that you not only save us, but you equip us and you send us out and you invite us to be a part of what you will do to the ends of the earth. And for that, we rejoice this morning. I pray, Father, for this body of believers that more than ever we will be desperate as we see our helplessness that we will be desperate for you and in that father that we will be diligent in humility led by the spirit to be a part of your kingdom work across to the ends of the earth so today father would you please capture our hearts again we thank you for chris and we ask now father that you would speak through this servant and for someone that's here that doesn't know christ may you do what only you can do and glorify yourself and bring them to the cross today and for that believer that is here that needs encouragement may your truth and the word your word the words that will be said that the king is here, here I am, that, that Father, we will hear that and it will bring comfort to those that need comfort. Father, we love you and we pray for those that are suffering today. Would you help them to suffer well for your glory and our joy in you and in his name we pray, amen. Good morning. It is so exciting for me to be in exactly this place with exa <clears throat> exactly these people doing this exact thing. If you have not had the pleasure to meet my wife, Jennifer, she's right over there. And uh, my name is Chris, and it is so exciting for us to be here, and it is equal excite equally exciting for our children not to be here. They are with their grandmother and uh, if pictures and videos tell the story, then they are having a fabulous time. But this is the uh, cutest, quietest version of them. So I thought it not right to hide them from you, but instead to bring them with me. So this is Cohen. He's five and a half. The half is very important to him. That is Eden, our four-year-old girl. And that guy there on the end is Jude. And he turns two next week. And uh, they are an incredible blessing to us. And all three of them have actually been born on the field in South Asia over the past seven years. So it's been a very fruitful time. And that's before we even get to ministry. Before I dive in to this morning, I wanted to tell you that if I had to pick a season or even a date on the calendar to get to be with you, I would very likely choose this season and this date because normally Jen and I and our kids are far from this part of the world. 
And so we don't get a chance to come and do the thing that I'm about to do, and that is say thank you. You see, as IMB missionaries, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering or the mission offering that you take up every December around Christmas time funds the work that we do. Every gallon of gas, every pen or pencil, every mile we put on a vehicle to get to those who are lost and perishing is sustained by your sacrificial giving. And so before I do anything else, and if you hear me say nothing else this morning, I hope that what you will hear is me saying, from my family to yours, how grateful we are for your partnership in the gospel. The work that we do would be impossible without it. So thank you very, very much. Speaking of that work, this morning's sermon is entitled, Kishin and the King. Kishin and the King. And I imagine most people in this room and online have a pretty good idea of who that king is going to end up being. But Kishin, I imagine, remains a bit of a mystery. So let me tell you about him. Of all the people I've met in South Asia, I think Kishin probably had the hardest start to life. And that is not a comp competition that anyone sets out to win. The trouble started when he was about seven years old and his mother passed away. That is a traumatic and difficult experience for any person, let alone a child. But things got infinitely worse when his father remarried a young, and I want to emphasize young, woman from a nearby village. When she came and joined their family, I imagine the experience she had was one of desperation and feeling overwhelmed. You see, Kishin had two younger sisters also, so she suddenly found herself the stepmother of three young children, caring for them and her husband in their one-room shack slum house in the depths of abject poverty. So you can imagine this mixture of poverty and desperation and feeling overwhelmed and even immaturity since she was so young was probably the mixture that led them to make a decision, her and her new husband, that most of us in this room and online would consider unfathomable. When Kishin was about eight years old, his father and his stepmother decided that they could no longer care for their young children, and so they put them out on the street. At this time, Kishin was eight, and his youngest sister was subsisting on a diet of mostly milk. You saw my three young children moments ago. So I imagine you, like me, when you consider this possibility, the feeling that you feel is probably best summarized as nauseous. It is a nauseating, unthinkable circumstance that those children would be left hopeless and helpless to fend for themselves. Yet I believe it is an apt comparison to how God's people probably felt in Isaiah chapter 51, verses 17 through 19. So join me in God's word. Open your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Isaiah chapter 51, 
And we're going to read together verses 17 through 19. And it's written, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? When we read a text like this, there are two questions that we most often need to ask. The first is, what happened? And the second is, why did it happen? The end of verse 19 tells us the what, tells us what happened. Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. We, from our side of history, might describe it simply as the Babylonian captivity. What God's people in the city of Jerusalem had just experienced is what statisticians would call a decimation. A decimation occurs, statisticians tell us, when a population is reduced by a decimal point. I was not a math major. Fortunately, I grew up in a town of 10,000 people. So if my hometown were to experience a decimation, their population would go from 10,000 to 1,000, a reduction of 90%. Those inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem were slain by invading armies to the tune of 90%. Those who were not killed were dragged forcibly from their homes to a land that they had never known, among a people whose language they did not know, whose foods were unfamiliar, no longer being free, but slaves to serve their conquerors. And those who were not killed and not dragged off, those very few who left, were left to look around what used to be their city, where two stones were not left on top of another, where all of the houses and the places where the market used to be and the schools and the walls had been ripped down to nothing. And through the places where the walls used to stand, they could look out at the places where their crops used to be before they were slashed and burned all the way to the mountains. And what remained for them was nothing of hope and nothing of food and nothing of a future. All that was left was for them to consider hopelessly and helplessly what would be their end. Invading armies, wild animals, or perhaps just starvation. That's the what. The why we get from verse 20. Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. The rebuke of your God is the why. God's people had indulged themselves in great idolatry. They had worshipped foreign gods in a desire for comfort and ease and prosperity and wealth. They had exchanged the God of their fathers, the God of their great salvation for ease and comfort. And God is a good father. 
He will not allow his children to remain on a path that leads to destruction. And so he stepped in in discipline, using the armies of Babylon to accomplish it. Sin was the reason. Sin was the why. I suppose that sin was also the why for why Kishin experienced his hopeless and helpless situation, just not his sin. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that we live in a world that is under the curse of sin. Yet the same God who is faithful as a father to discipline his children, he is also faithful to uphold his children through times of unspeakable difficulty. For Kishin, that upholding looks like a very providential trip to a local restaurant. Like any eight-year-old all over the world, if suddenly found to be without food, he would go to a place to find some. So Kishin found himself at a local restaurant trying to reach across the counter to take some food for himself and his sisters. As he reached, a hand reached down and grabbed his arm. It was the owner of the restaurant who asked him, why are you stealing? Kishin replied, because I'm hungry. The restaurant owner said, you're hungry, will you work? And Kishin said, yes. And because there were no child labor laws in South Asia from then and even now, he was sent back to wash the dirty pots and pans of the restaurant. Kishin went back and worked and washed, and when he, was, when he was finished with that work, the restaurant owner handed him a parcel of food to take home for him and his sisters. And thus began an 18-month-long arrangement where Kishin would come in and wash dishes and receive food, and that, along with begging on the streets, allowed for this eight-year-old young man, by the grace of the Lord, to sustain until family pressure forced his father and stepmother to once again bring them back into their home. And it wasn't perfect. But the presence of Kishin's father and being able to remain in their home meant a lot. Speaking of presence, there are four here I am statements in the book of Isaiah. Four here I am statements in the book of Isaiah. The first one is the famous one. You've probably heard it. Here am I, Lord, send me. Isaiah speaking to the Lord. But the other three are not Isaiah speaking to the Lord, but rather I, the Lord speaking through Isaiah to the people of God, announcing a coming salvation. There's an important principle here for us. Where the presence of the Lord is, there too is his salvation. Where the presence of the Lord is, there too is his salvation. Our God is not a God who saves at an arm's length, but rather enters into the mess of his people to save them personally. And if we don't believe that, I don't know what we have been celebrating all last month, because the incarnation is nothing if it is not our God entering into our mess to bring us back to himself. 
And if you consider all of the acts of the salvation of our God throughout the history of God's people, he has always been present. Consider for a moment Noah. It was God himself who taught Noah to build the ark and fill the ark. And the scriptures teach us that it was God's hand that closed the ark and upheld the ark through the entirety of the flood until they should arrive again at safety. Or Moses and the Israelites, it was God himself who appeared to Moses and then sent plagues and a Passover and parted seas, leading them himself by day and by night until he brought them to a land that was promised, where his presence would join them. The here I am of the Lord announces the salvation of the Lord. And unless it is judgment day, to hear the here I am of the Lord is incredibly good news. The first of these here I am statements from the Lord through Isaiah to God's people comes in Isaiah 52, verse 6. Let's read it together. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. And he goes on poetically to depict how that comes. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Return back to that Isaiah 51 reality of God's people, those few who remain standing in Jerusalem as they look at the ruin that has befallen them all the way as they look past their burned and slashed crops to the mountains, wondering what would become of them. And into that mess, as they look out and see the mountains, they hear the voice of a messenger, and his, he is descending the mountains. He is calling over and over again, good news, good news. Jesus in the New Testament would pick up on that term, good news, when he would come to announce the coming of the kingdom. And we have translated that term, gospel. And is there a better depiction of how the gospel comes than as a message of peace and of happiness and of salvation? The term in this era always represented a conquering win for an army, or the coming especially of a new king. And it doesn't take God's people very long to find out who that king is, because the gospel message then and now entails beautifully and simply the message, your God reigns. The king who has come, the new king, is God himself. Verse 8. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. As the messenger is descending, calling out over and over and again, good news, good news. The guards of the city 
begin to weep and cry and call out because eye to eye, face to face, they see that this messenger is no mere messenger, but is rather God himself. The king is God and the king has come to Jerusalem. This is an enormous deal, but in order for us to understand the weight of it, we have to flip back to Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. Starting in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. This is no normal king. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fettered calf together and a little child shall lead them. Now that is an unusual parade. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the coal of the cobra and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my mountain, all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be filled with, uh, shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The guards are weeping and rejoicing Because when the God King comes to Jerusalem, it no longer matters if you have no crops because the Lord himself will feed you. And it no longer matters if you have no walls to protect you because the Lord himself is your salvation and your protection. In fact, he is your strength and your song who has become your salvation. And so their response in Isaiah chapter 52 starting in verse 9, makes perfect sense. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Waste places is an unusual turn of phrase, but it's incredibly apt. He's talking about those places where houses used to be and schools and markets and the walls and the crops, those places that have been laid to waste rejoice because the Lord has not only come, but he's comforted. And he hasn't only comforted Jerusalem. Verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That the coming of our God King to Jerusalem not only brought the grace and salvation of the Lord to those inhabitants, but through them to the very ends of the earth. And 2,700 years later, the here I am of the Lord made its way all the way to South Asia to a little boy 
named Kishan. Kishan was about 10 years old when the here I am of the Lord made its way to him. And he was found weeping in a stairwell. To explain why, I'm going to have to back up a little bit and explain that in those days, Kishan's father had begun a quite unfortunate habit of falling quite ill. Not just a little bit sick, but bed-ridden sick. And each time this would happen, he would be on the bed. And his stepmother, who again was quite young, would grow fearful, and she would run off back to her village. And the children would be left to wait and see if dad would recover. This happened again and again. As Kishan's father would grow sick, their stepmother would run off, and they themselves would wait to see if their father would go like their mother did, and if they would return to the streets. So you can understand why Kishan, seeing this whole thing play out in front of him, with his father once again having fallen ill and his stepmother once again having abandoned them, why he might find himself weeping in the bottom of a stairwell, just waiting to see if they would survive. And in that moment, Kishan heard voices singing. Don't cry, come. Don't cry, come. Don't cry, come. And in his little 10-year-old little boy mind, he knew for sure they were speaking to him. And so he began running up the stairwell until he found the doors from which this singing was coming, and he burst into the room to find a church service already in progress. He was quite surprised to find them, but not as surprised as they were to find him, a little boy, teary-eyed, with only his underoos and undershirt on. They stopped the service and they asked him, what has happened? Why have you come? And through tears, he explained his whole life's circumstance and how he had responded to the singing And they stopped the service and they prayed for him. Three things happened that day that I think are remarkable. The first thing that happened is that Kishan's father never again grew sick to the point of being bedridden. That ended that day. The second thing that is remarkable, but perhaps not the most remarkable, is that when Kishan's stepmother returned from the village, her heart had been transformed. No longer did she treat Kishan and his younger siblings as though they were children of someone else that she had to take care of, but rather cared for them as her very own children. The third thing that happened that, in my estimation, is the most remarkable is that that church family came to understand the circumstance that Kishan and his family was going through, and out of their own abject poverty, reached out to them to care for them. And as days turned to weeks, turned to months, through their kindness and grace and faithfulness to bring the gospel to Kishan's little family, Kishan heard the here I am of the Lord, and responded by saying, here I am, Lord, save me, 
and send me. It can be hard to know how exactly to respond when God so faithfully keeps his word that the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That in Kishin's case, a small local fellowship in South Asia whose leaders had been trained by missionaries from the United Kingdom and that whose partners had been from the United States all coming together, an alliance of what would have definitely been the ends of the earth from Isaiah's day in Jerusalem. The Lord using all of them together to bring the here I am of the Lord to a lost little boy and his family. It can be hard to know how to respond to that kind of promise keeping. But let me recommend perhaps three choices. The first one in Hope Point's mission statement helps with this is to applaud our Lord, that he is gracious and kind and merciful to save, extravagant in his grace and his kindness. The second is to do what Isaiah chapter 52 verse 11 recommends. It says, depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. The go out from there, out of the midst from her, the referent there is Babylon. Depart from Babylon. Babylon would make for an interesting word study if you went through the scriptures. Here in Isaiah, it refers to the physical kingdom of Babylon that God's people are being called out of in the great day of salvation. But later, by the time we get to the book of 1 Peter, Babylon, when Peter writes to his audience, she who is in Babylon greets you, no longer represents the physical kingdom of Babylon, which had long since ceased to be, but rather the kingdom of Rome, the Roman church. Babylon had come to be code for the one who is currently oppressing you. And by the time we get to the book of Revelation, Babylon has even taken on a different meaning, no longer being a physical kingdom of oppression, but rather being the oppression of the sinfulness of our own hearts. As we tend to delight ourselves in pleasure and comfort, and ease, and prosperity over and against the goodness, and mercy, and kindness of our King. To be extraordinarily practical, the call for us to depart our present-day affection for the present-day Babylons of our own heart is incredibly relevant to us. I come from about an hour and a half outside the Kansas City area, so you can understand that I have so many friends who in their heart of hearts have a real struggle deciding whether they are more excited for the ultimate return of our King Jesus in their day-to-day -day life or if they're more tangibly excited 
for how many Super Bowls Patrick Mahomes might win. It is, the struggle is real. And it's real in each of our hearts. To embrace the delights of this world as more exciting, more satisfying than the coming of our God, King, to reign. We have to depart them. The third thing that I would maybe recommend as a response to this text is to do exactly what Kishan did. You see, about nine months ago, I was talking with Kishan, and Kishan asked me an unusual question. He said, Chris, did I ever tell you about what happened when I left my job for the afternoon about a couple weeks ago? And I said, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, well, I was leaving and locking up, and then a group of five or six people came over to me, and they asked me, are you Kishan? And I said, yes. And they said, are you Kishan who lives at such and such place? And I said, yes, that's, that's where I live. And Chris, they began to slap me and spit at me and try to hit me. And I asked, why? Why are you doing this? And they began to explain, you see, we are from a nearby village, and our sister left that village to come to this city to work. And while she was here, she lost her job, and somehow she became connected to you and your wife, Newton, and you took her in, and you fed her. And while she was there with you, you told her about Jesus. And then when she came home to our village, she would no longer do our daily exercises of devotion to our household gods, even should we spit on her and slap her. She just wouldn't do it. And then she left and she married some Christian man and she's gone and we don't know when we're going to see her again and it is all your fault. Kishan said, well, why are you blaming me? I didn't, I fed her, I cared for her. They said, you don't understand. In our village, no one had even ever heard the word Jesus. We didn't know if he was a thing or a person or a food or what. But now our lives are changed. Our village will never be the same. And we blame you. Kishan looked at me and said, Chris, that day I was like, I was so happy. I said, go ahead, slap me. Hit me, spit on me. Because he was overwhelmed that the Lord would use him to speak the here I am of the Lord to a place where Jesus had never been known. And six months later, those same people who had used their hands to slap him used their hands instead to embrace him and his wife, Newton, and their baby, Anugra, whose name means grace, as they all together, as a new members of the same faith family, worshiped the Lord because the here I am of the Lord had come also to them. So I want to end where I began with a sincere thank you from my family to yours, from Kishin's family to yours. Through the cooperative program in Lottie Moon and the giving, the sacrificial giving of your church, we have the distinct privilege to see the here I am of the Lord carried forward 
by faithful brothers and sisters who have no hope, helpless and hopeless apart from it, and to see it carried through them to those who have never had the privilege of even hearing the name of Jesus. To thank the Lord, will you join me in prayer? King Jesus, we are overwhelmed by your mercy and your kindness to us. That you, as we read in Isaiah 51, drank to the dregs the bowl of the Lord's wrath for our sake. And that you gave yourself to us as our great high priest who intercedes for us and as the sacrifice that was offered for our sake. And not just for us, but also to those who are still far off, that through your coming, all the ends of the earth would see your salvation. God, it's an incredible thing to be a part of your people. Give us the grace to applaud you and delight in you. Give us the grace to depart from the Babylons of our own heart where we would treasure and trust in things that are less than you, that are unworthy of you. And give us the grace to do like Kishan did, to carry this news, your good news, that our God reigns to those who are near and far, to the glory of your name, and to the praise of your glorious grace. God, we thank you. We praise you, we treasure you, and we trust you. Thank you, in Jesus' name.